Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome to this edition of Grass Talk Radio. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the concept of taking shortcuts. I mean, a lot of people, when they first start learning how to play, they're really, really excited and I hope you're really excited about learning and you want to get there, whatever there is, you want to get there ASAP. And if there's a shortcut to getting, to being able to play, you want to find it. So everybody's always looking for shortcuts and part of being a good instructor is showing people, you might call them shortcuts to making progress. But we're going to examine the whole concept of shortcuts in this episode. You also might be one of those people, maybe, that you've been playing a while and you're encountering some difficulty, some trouble, something you want to fix, and you want a quick fix. Well, quick fixes and shortcuts are the same thing. And they do exist, but let's, let's talk about them. Before we do that, I want to tell you a little story. And this is a true story. So I'm teaching banjo and mandolin and guitar and bass and stuff like that. And I get a phone call one day from this guy. And he says he wants to take banjo lessons. And we talk about it a little bit. And I get him on the schedule. And he comes for his first banjo lesson. And it was kind of interesting because the guy had an English accent. And that was, that was rather unusual, you know. <laughs> anyway, so the guy shows up for his first lesson. And he's got his banjo, and I've got mine, and we start talking, and I start showing him about the picks. And and uh, in a few minutes, he, he kind of stops me and says, listen, you know, I understand what you're trying to do there, but I want to learn how to play dueling banjos. I'm like, okay, you know, that that's that's a very popular tune. And I'm figuring he just wants to play it because it's something he's heard, something he's familiar with. You get people come in, they want to learn how to play Foggy Mountain Breakdown or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou or stuff like that. But anyway, this guy mentions dueling banjos and I said, well, you know, that's a pretty complicated task. To be able to play that convincingly is going to take you a while. So, you know, how about we start here with you know, some rolls and boil them cabbage down and cripple Creek. He's like, no, no, I, I really need to play dueling banjos. Now it's changed from, I want to play dueling banjos to I need to play dueling banjos. I said, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Explain this to me. He tells me he's from England. Obviously his brother is getting married in London in six weeks and since he had moved to the USA, they all like to joke about the fact that he lived down in Georgia and that he probably personally knows all those people from the movie Deliverance. A lot of jokes. And so he thought it would be really cool if he bought a banjo, learned how to play dueling banjos, showed up at his brother's wedding, 
and play dueling banjos for his kinfolk over there in England. My head is just spinning. I'm like, this is a crazy story. And the first question I had was, when is the wedding? He's like, it's in six weeks. I'm like, this cannot be done. You know, I mean, I wish it could. I wish I, I but I, I, you know, you're not going to play dueling banjos at that wedding six weeks from now, unless you already have developed some banjo picking abilities. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, all right, what, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And he's adamant. He wants to do that. So I kind of whipped up a plan of action. I said, why, why dueling banjos? We talked about that. I said, well, what other song or could we do something else that would, you know, fulfill that need of you to perform this joke, basically? I said, who else have they heard of? And uh, he said, Johnny Cash. And so I thought, okay, wait a minute. I will teach you the three basic chords. <laughs> you know, G, you already got that one. C and D7. And how about we do the song, I'm trying to remember what it was, I Walk the Line. Have you, have you heard of that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So my plan was, why don't you just learn to strum the chords, sing a little bit of I Walk the Line, and then tell a joke. You know, maybe tell a little deliverance joke or something like that. You know, paddle faster, I hear banjo picking, something like that. And then I showed him how to go G, 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 C, G, you know, play that basic little lick. And everybody will cheer wildly that he played dueling banjos. So basically, he really only needs to know one chord, tell a good joke, maybe do I Walk the Line. So I'm thinking that's doable in six weeks. But getting back to this idea of shortcuts, he wanted a shortcut. He was willing to pay me for four lessons, thinking that just shelling out 80 bucks and coming for half an hour once a week for four weeks would get him to playing dueling banjos. He had completely unrealistic expectations. Anybody out there who is listening who plays the banjo, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, listen to the, uh, you know, the record that was so popular on radio. Listen to that version of it. You're not getting to that point in four weeks. It's not possible. So sometimes you're looking for a shortcut that is not practical. So I say kind of forget about shortcuts. Oh, let me tell you another little story about a shortcut. When I was in college, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, briefly about when I went down to college and I had my car all loaded with instruments and stuff. Well, it wasn't too long. I'd been down there and we had some guys that were picking together and there was a place in, in town. We were a couple miles outside of town. This was in Tifton, Georgia. And I was going to Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College. And, uh, there was a little joint in town called Branches Saloon. And Thursday night was the hot night for students from the college to go there for whatever reason. I think it was because a lot of people went home on the weekends. That place would empty out as soon as classes let out on Friday. So Thursday night was the night. So we had a little deal with the owner of Branches 
that we would come and sit and jam and play bluegrass on Thursday nights if he would, you know, comp us some free beer. You know, pretty good deal for a college student. But when I would leave there at the end of the night, there were several ways to get from branches back to the campus. You could take the shortcut, the most direct path, and I did that most of the time. But if you did that, it was guaranteed you were going to see a Tifton, Georgia cop. He knew all I have to do is position myself halfway between branches and the college, and I'm going to be pulling me over somebody. So it didn't take you long to figure that out. So sometimes the shortcut is not the best path, is what I'm saying. So there were a night or two that I kind of went around about way to get back to the campus. Here's another example of shortcut. I, while I was there at college, my course of study was forestry. So we're learning how to cruise timber and do surveying and draw maps and all kind of stuff like that. Well, when I get out of college, I actually got a job in forestry as a timber cruiser. And a timber cruiser is somebody who goes out and inventories standing timber, determines the volume of wood that is in standing timber. That's to put it in a nutshell. So I was a timber cruiser. Well, one of the things in a timber cruiser is that when you're doing cruises, you must follow direct straight paths. In order, let's say you had a 200-acre tract of timber. The the science of timber cruising is to take sample plots, not at random, but in a in a grid throughout the property. So you may go, you know, 20 chains, which is 66 feet times 20, and stop. That's your point. You're following a compass line. And you stop at that exact point and you do a sample plot of a, a quarter acre and you count every tree and measure every tree in that plot. And then you proceed again, another 20 chains and you do another one and you, you're following this compass line. Maybe you decide you're going to go north, south, and you're following these direct compass lines across the property. Then you jump over establish a new line back the other direction, cross back across the property. And when you finish this whole process, it's like you've put a piece of, of graph paper over the property. And at these intersections are where you've taken these plots. And this helps ensure that your, your measurement is not biased by your tendency to want to walk in an area that's easier to walk through. I mean, you got to cross whatever's there. So as you're following these compass lines, oftentimes you set them up at 90 degrees to any water. You know, if there's a stream flowing through the middle of the property, you would tend to set your lines up at right angles to that, and you'll cross that. Every time you do a line and you're halfway through the line, you're going to be crossing that creek. But you got to, as best as you can, follow that compass. So you're taking the short and most direct path, and it's difficult. When you cross that beaver swamp six times in the course of a day, and you're up to your neck 
in poison ivy. It's, it's, it's sometimes the shortest path between point A and point B can be the most difficult. The easy path a lot of times is sort of to meander a little bit, to wander off to the left, to the right. But in forestry, that distorts your sample. So you can't do that in forestry. You must follow the path. But in music, sometimes the direct path, you'll encounter difficulties, unforeseen difficulties. And sometimes you won't. Sometimes it's better to meander a little bit. So meandering is okay, not in timber cruising, but in playing music. Meandering, you know, getting off your path a little bit here and there, exploring things, that's okay so long as you're still generally headed in the same direction as your destination. So now let's talk about your destination. We're not going to define what your destination is. I'm just going to kind of give it a general um, description of you want to be a, a competent player of your instrument and you want to play bluegrass. Okay, that's your destination. You want to get there and where you are right now is maybe you're a beginner, maybe you've been, you know, wherever you are, that's point A. Your destination, your vision for the future, that's point B. You could draw a line, a straight line from where you are now to where you want to be. And if you, the closer you stay to that path that gets you there, the quicker you'll get there. If I'm driving to town on a straight road, I'm going to do it in fewer miles than if the road curves back and forth and, you know. So, as the crow flies. But in the real world, sometimes you can't do that. Let me talk to you about a guy who was an expert in getting from point A to point B. When I was a kid... We, we were living up in Indiana. My dad had taken a job in Indiana. And I had some relatives up in Indiana, some aunts and uncles and stuff. And every year in the summer, we'd have one week of vacation. And we're going back to the mid-1960s and up into the 19... Well, let's see, probably about before 1968, 67. So I'm just a kid. I'm you know, five, six years old, our family would take a vacation in the summertime for one week, and we'd go to from Indiana to Daytona Beach, Florida. And if you got the map out in those days and you drew a straight line between those points, that was more or less our plan of action. And of course, my dad is in charge. This is his project. So we've got a, a caravan every year that we did this we'd have a caravan we'd have our car we we had an old 64 rambler station wagon with four kids and mom and dad and mom and dad smoking like freight trains the whole time no air conditioning you know windows rolled down four kids fighting in the back seat that was our <laughs> trip to florida but we'd also have aunts and uncles they'd have their car i remember my uncle he had this humongous uh, Chrysler Imperial with a push-button transmission, push-button on the dash. So that was Uncle Ed, and there'd be Uncle John, and, you know, sometimes four cars in this caravan. So we're generally following US-41 down to Florida and making our way to Daytona, and, you know, by map. 
But along the way, you know, dad's in charge. But along the way, we stopped at places. You know, we'd get off on a little side road. I remember we used to, I remember a place called Dog Patch. I think it was in Kentucky. Very cool. It was like a little hillbilly tourist trap. Dog Patch. It was probably nobody goes to Dog Patch anymore. And, of course, we'd have to pull off for gas, and we'd have to eat, and we'd stop at Stuckey's. But once in a while, you'd take these little side trips. Dad was a huge uh, Abraham Lincoln history buff, so I remember going to Lincoln's birthplace, someplace in Kentucky. And uh, the first, at the end of the first day, we always stayed. This is kind of, uh, it has a bluegrass connection in a way. We always stayed at the Holiday Inn in Lexington, Kentucky. And if you're a, a fan of J.D. Crow and the New South, you know the Holiday Inn in Lexington. They played there a lot during that time period in the lounge. They were like, you know, I don't know, five-night-a-week band. That was their gig. You know, Ricky Skaggs, Jerry Douglas, uh, J.D. Crow. So they were playing at this Holiday Inn in Lexington, and there, you know, we'd pull in off the road, We'd go to the motel room, hit the pool. Kids would hit the pool. Mom and dad would go to the lounge. You know, I my dad collected, like, napkins, matchbook covers. He stole the room key from every hotel room he ever stayed in. He used to steal the key as a souvenir. Never returned a key. I got a, his trunk is full of them. I got a whole box full of room keys. And I have a room key. They'd have a big plastic tag on it. And it says Holiday Inn Lexington. I think it was, I think they might have actually had two Holiday Inns in Lexington. But anyway, I've got the key to room, you know, 112 or something. Still to this day. And, you know, he's got the matchbook cover from whatever the lounge was called. And, and frankly, mom and dad were probably down there listening to J.D. Crow. Uh, you know, it's, it's entirely possible. But anyway, we'd make these little side trips, you know. But it did not stop dad from being on the path. He 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 was the guy who kept us on track. He'd get us from Indiana to Daytona Beach. By hook or crook, we're getting there. So he was like the guide. He was the man making it all happen. And I've often thought that my role as a teacher is sort of to be that. You know, you want to get from point A to B and there's all these bright, shiny objects and you want to go off on this trail and that trail. And, you know, I stand back as the teacher and I go, well, that's cool. You know, yeah, that's interesting. Get back on the path. You know, eventually I'm always trying to herd you back onto the highway and let's get rolling. We're trying to make it to Daytona Beach. Now, one one of the things that we wouldn't do, and we did these little side trips, and and for for you, let's say you're a mandolin player, you might make a little side trip over and kind of check out Clawhammer Banjo. That's cool. I got some great videos if you want to do that. But, you know, if you really want to be a mandolin player, you need to get back on the path to Daytona Beach. So, anyway, what we didn't do on those trips, because we only had seven days to have our quote-unquote vacation. He didn't suddenly, they didn't sit around the motel in Lexington and change their plan. They didn't say, you know what, let's not go to Daytona Beach. Why don't we go to Jesse James' hideout in Missouri? Or why don't we go to the Grand Canyon? 
If you're making those sort of major changes in direction, you're never going to get to Daytona Beach. So, and I'm not saying you can't change. You're free to do whatever you want to do. I say that a lot. But if, if your goal is to become a bluegrass player, at least try to maintain that general direction of travel. And, and that requires a plan. So now, warning, sales pitch. I've got some plans for how you can become a mandolin player or a banjo player or a claw hammer banjo player, whatever. If you've been to my website, bradleylaird.com, you've seen the free lessons. You know, that's like that lady in the grocery store. Everybody who's been through the grocery store, and you see this lady standing there. She's got a little tray, and she's handing out little somethings, you know, a little like, I don't know, pizza rolls or something. And she's got a little stove set up, and here, would you like one? Here, oh, would you like one? You know, and the kids are going up there eating the little chicken nuggets or whatever. It's sampling, you know, giving away free samples in hopes that somebody will purchase the product. Well, that's what I do. I mean, I'm going to be quite frank about it. I need to sell a few things in order to continue doing all this, to keep giving out all these free samples. I have to sell something every once in a while. So let's say you're, you want to explore those things, go for it, you know. But also, you know, try to keep in mind what is your ultimate goal at present and you know at least keep yourself pointed that way if you want to be a bluegrass musician it's not going to help you to take up studying blues electric guitar and look i know a lot of people dabble in everything and that's the way to get nowhere if you're just wandering all over the map you're gonna end up pretty much nowhere you do see a lot of the countryside i'm you know that's okay, too. But if you want to play bluegrass, you need a plan. You need a map. And as much as you can, stay on that path. So, if you're a mantle player, my recommendation, I'm obviously going to recommend my stuff, is get the beginning mandolin instruction course PDF download. It's cheap. And it's thorough. That'll get you started. And then start with the first six beginner video lessons. You combine those two things together, and you're well on your way towards becoming a bluegrass mandolin player. Now, if you're a banjo player, it starts with the banjo instruction course book, and then it leads into a book called the Flint Hill Scrolls. And there's some other stuff. If you're interested in bluegrass banjo, check out the complete banjo learning system. And you can find links to this stuff on the show notes page for this episode. Go to grasstalkradio.com, click on the episode, and you'll see links to whatever I'm talking about here. And once in a while, after I finish an episode, I think of something else, and I'll put it on that page. So you might want to pop over there and take a look at that. Now, if claw hammer banjo is your bag, or you just want to dabble around with it as a little side trip to Lincoln's birthplace... Um, I have 18 video lessons that progress. I spent a lot of time laying these things out in a logical order. 18 videos. Try the first six. See how you're doing. So I've got plans laid out for you if you want to use them. And if you don't, that's cool too. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed 
this lesson and a little trip down memory lane from me. And I'll talk to you in the next podcast. One more thing before you go. The tune that you're hearing at the end of this episode, which you'll hear in just a few seconds, is a little tune I wrote called Taking the Shortcut Home. And I just thought it was appropriate because the title fits perfectly with this episode. For all you mandolin players, this is a little freebie. If you go to the show notes for this episode, just go to grasstalkradio.com, click on this episode, and you'll find the links. I have posted an audio file of the complete track that you're hearing, and I've also put the tablature for the tune and another MP3 of it played very slowly. So it's a cool little tune. It's it's a simple tune you can learn in an afternoon, and it's got a neat melody, and it's fun to play. So a little freebie there for you mandolin players, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.